Well, two weeks ago I said that we would be looking at First uh, John chapter 2, and we were going to be going from chapter 2, verse 7, all the way through to 17. And uh, for those of you who remember, I went from 7 to 11 last time, and now we're going to be looking at 12 through 17 this time. Um, I also told you, if you go back and listen to the recording, that we were not going to focus a lot on 12 through 14, but we focused most of our attention this morning on verses 15 through 17, and that's exactly what I intend to do. However, I do want to focus just a moment or two on chapter uh, 2, verses 12 through 14. If you, It depends on how your Bible is formatted. Um, some Bibles will show this as... Uh, poetry or as a song. In other words, it's indented. It looks like it's a poem in the middle of the letter. Um, and I was quite honestly thinking, oh, I'm going to go in and start reading about the from the scholars about how this was an ancient song that was incorporated into the letter or it was a poem that John crafted, blah, blah, blah. Nobody talked about any of that. And there's no history that I can find that, that this is anything other than one person writing a letter to people that he liked and cared about. And he happened to include a little a little poem. Um, and scholars went on and on and on for pages and pages and pages talking about why did he say children and young people and adults and fathers and young men. And honestly, you can go and read that all for yourself. A lot of it's online. I don't really care. It didn't build me up and edify me in any way as I was studying it. But the one thing I did feel impressed on and the one thing I felt led that I needed to share with you guys was this. John didn't waste paper. There was a definite reason for him including this. And what I was able to, to glean from these three verses was this. If, and, and, and I want to do it this way. I want, um, well, our newly licensed Elsie Stormont. Elsie, I want you to look at verses 12 okay. and then the tail end of 13, talking about the children. And he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because something. Don't say it out loud yet. Evelyn, on verse 13 and verse 14, he says, I am writing to you fathers because something. And then Tanya, are you okay with looking it up? If you could look up verses, First John chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And he says, I'm writing to you young men because blah, blah, blah. So Elsie, go ahead and share with us what does it say in verse 12 about why he's writing to the children? Because your sins are forgiven okay. for his namesake. The sins, their sins are forgiven for his namesake. Now, what does he say to the children again? At the bottom of 13. Uh-huh. Um, uh, they know the Father. Okay. Their sins are forgiven for his namesake and they know the Father. El Evelyn, what did he say to the fathers? And what did he say in the other one? I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Exactly the same thing. For whatever reason, that was an important statement that needed to be done twice. We'll look at it in just a second. And then finally, Tanya, what does he say to the young men? I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And then? I write to you dear children because you have known the father. Oh, no, I go to, go to the second half of verse 14. Second half of verse 14. I write to you, young 
because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil. Again, he repeats something. You have overcome the evil one. So the truths that he states, he says, I'm writing to you people, whether you are young, whether you are middle-aged, whether you are old, you are receiving this message. Why? Because number one, you have come to know the Father. Two, your sins are forgiven because of his name. Three, you have known him who is from the beginning. And there's a little bit of a question on that one, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit. And then finally, number four, you are strong. God, The word of God is in you. And as a result, you have overcome the evil one. Powerful, powerful, powerful message. Affirmation of who you are in Christ. Your relationship with God has these truths about them. You know the Father. You know that your sins are forgiven because of His name, not because of anything you've done. You know Him from who is from the beginning. Now, the question on that one is, are they talking, is John talking about the Father who was before all worlds were ever created? Or was he talking about Jesus? Because in our theology, as you remember from, from reading of the Nicene Creed and from the Apostles' Creed, we talk about the fact that Jesus was begotten of his Father before all worlds were created. So that Jesus was from the beginning. Jesus wasn't somebody who just happened on the scene at this particular year. He's been around since the very beginning. And so there's not any real indication from the text whether or not John was speaking about knowing God from the, who is from the beginning or specifically knowing the Son who is from the beginning. But either way, either way, the confidence is you know God. You know God. And He has saved you. He has forgiven you. He has forgiven your sins. And as a result of His Word being in you, you are strong and you have overcome the evil one. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when I talked about kind of like living the drone-like experience, being the beehive thing, where I said every so often a person sticks their head up from being a drone and all of a sudden they realize there's a reality outside of themselves that they indeed there is a spirit and a God that they, own, that they have a responsibility before. And the enemy has been trying to keep them down, keep them down, keep them distracted, not allow them to recognize that there's a God. And it says, because of all of these things, you can know you have overcome the evil one. See, so often Christians live a, a weak existence. Oh, the enemy's really trying to beat me down this week. Oh, I've had so much hardness, heartache and problems and troubles and the enemy's just doing a number on me this week. Excuse me! The word of God has declared you have overcome the evil one. You have specific authority to say, I do not have to live like that anymore. You no longer have control over my life. 
You are whispering lies to me. You are trying to deceive me. You are trying to steal from me. You are trying to destroy. And the word of God has declared that so that I know and can recognize it and understand. I have the Father with me. I have the name of Jesus, the blood of Christ. And the word of God clearly has described me as a believer as being strong and having overcome the evil one. If you turn to James, James says, resist the devil and he must flee. Now, how are you resisting the devil? In your own strength? No. You are resisting the devil because of the strength that you have as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as one who has the Spirit of God dwelling within you. And because of God's ever-present power and strength with you, you have the right and the authority to say, Leave me alone. You have no authority. Now, why is all of that important? And why did John put that in this letter just before he wrote these next verses? Well, let's look and see what the next verses say. And you'll understand why these truths that we just looked at were so important. Um, First of all, look at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, before we go any farther in this, there was something that I was intrigued about and I wanted to look at, and so I did a little bit of study. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I thankfully have tools that I can access that give me information. The word world in this verse, in these verses, and if I remember correctly, the world, the word world is done like six times, I think, in this, in this passage. Um, the Greek word is cosmos. And I was intrigued. The thought that I had was, well, now wait a minute. The word, what is the word in John chapter three, verse 16? Because that one we all familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word cosmos is the same word in John 3.16 as it is here in John, 1 John chapter um, 15 through 17. So what in the world is John saying to us that we're not to love the world or the things of the world because God loved the world and we're supposed to do what Jesus did. So how can we not love the world? We're told not to love the world, but we're told to do what God did. And we're told in John chapter 3 verse 16 that God loved the world. So why are we getting this circular argument thingy going? And as I studied, well, before I do that, let's, let's, let's do a little bit more examination of this idea of not loving the world before I study any, go into what I studied. Turn, if you want to, turn to James chapter 4, verse 4. James is just a couple chapters, I mean a couple books ahead of 1 John. James comes right after Hebrews and just before the Peters. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Friendship with the world is hatred toward God. But I'm supposed to love the world? But I'm not supposed to love the world. 
Look at John chapter 17. Gospel of John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying his high priestly prayer just before he gets arrested in the garden. John chapter 17 and verse 15 is the one we're looking at. I do not ask that you, God, take them, my disciples, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. So now he's saying, don't take them out of the cosmos, out of the world. But you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is getting confusing. It's very frustrating as you're trying to think this through. What in the world are we being told? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 9 through 11 are what we're looking at. I wrote to you, Paul talking to the people who are at the church in Corinth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral in this world or the greedy and swindlers or the idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those who are outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So in this particular section, Paul was talking about some kind of a relationship issue between brothers and sisters in the church. But he's saying, the truth that he's saying there is, I, when I told you not to associate with people of the world, with the immoral of the world, I wasn't talking about the people, I mean, when I told you not to de- deal with people who were being sinful, I didn't tell you to do it from people who were in the world, I talked to you about people who are in the church. So that gives us an understanding that there's a division. I am not in the world, I am of Christ. And that goes back with what John, what we saw in, in the Gospel of John and Jesus' high priestly prayer. I'm sending them into the world, but they're not of the world, just as like I'm not of the world. They are living in the world, the physical world. They are relating with fellow human beings, but they are not of the world. What? Look at John chapter 18. Again, Jesus continuing in his high priestly prayer just before his arrest. In, in his prayer and his arrest in, Garden, in Gethsemane. John chapter 18, verse 36. Actually, this is after his arrest, excuse me. We're going to start actually in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or do you others say it to, to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and your chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then he goes on. We don't have time this morning to look at all of that. So there's this idea that Jesus is not of this world. And we are not of this world. Now go back to John. I mean, first John, the one that we've been looking at in chapter two. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. And what we understand is that Jesus is referenced. Jesus taught his disciples, I'm sending you into the world. You're not, and you're not to be of the world. You're to be part of Christ and God's kingdom. But you can't physically depart this earth, this world. But you're going into the world. And there's a difference there. What is the difference? In the writings of John, and this is I'm quoting one of my one of my uh, one of my scholars that I, I, I referenced. In the writings of John, the word "world" signifies mankind's organized rebellion against God. In other words, another another way of saying he says it later on, same same section. Worldliness means disobedience to God's rule of life. And its presence is to be discerned by asking, what is God's will? And not by making a list, a human list of taboos. And that, that was just a cool statement that I like. But, but he said, worldliness is disobedience to God's rule of life. Again, he said, mankind's organized rebellion against God. So when God... I mean, Jesus says you're not of the world. When John is saying, don't love the world, he's talking about, don't look at the people who are in rebellion against God and, and, and love that. Don't want to be, don't be part of that. Don't, don't step into that. Because if you do, James said, being friends with that makes you an enemy of God. If you turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, which we're not going to go there right now, but the, the story that, John, that I mean, the, the, the premise that, that John, excuse me, the premise that Paul is giving in his letter, Romans 8, verses 5 through 8, is that if you live according to the Spirit, that, excuse me, that you are to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Okay? So there's this idea of living according to the spirit and not according to the flesh, not being in rebellion against God, not being part of the world. And so we can understand that what Paul is saying, what John is saying, what Jesus is saying is that this of the world idea, this of the world concept is living selfishly, living with motives to gain for me what I want, not willing to live a life where you submit to whatever God brings into your world, into your life. Now, I want to read verses 16 and 17, then we're going to try to wrap this up really quickly. It says in chapter 
in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the word life can also be translated riches or wealth. All of this is not from the Father. This is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Two reasons why Christians shouldn't love the world. Number one, the love of the world makes it impossible to have love for the Father. Jesus himself in his teaching said, you cannot love God or serve God and mammon, money. You can't. You'll, you, you cannot have a divided heart. You will either love the one and despise the other, or you'll love the other and despise the one. You cannot have both. There is only one place for the top, and that's where God needs to be. So the love of the world makes it impossible to have love for the Father. Number two, why is it important that we shouldn't love the world? The investment of love in the world is foolish. Because the world is passing away. If you're putting all of your, all of your, 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 this is what I want, this is what I want to be part of, this is what I like, eventually it's going to fade and die. I, there's lots of different things that I could give us examples of, to, but I'm trying to, to truncate this. Think about um, people who put their hope in their money. Think about people who put their hope or their all of their worth in their physical appearance and their physical strength. All of these things end up decaying and going away. But if you put your faith, hope, and trust in God... And his purposes and what he has for you. And your whole allegiance is to God. That never goes away. It's always present. It is always going to be forever. And the, the idea is... The, the one thing I did want to share with you is an example out of my own life. When we were young parents, we have, we have three daughters. And our oldest, um, when she was just a little, little girl, four and five years old... Um, Actually, she was, she was five or six years old, I think, or maybe seven or eight. I don't remember now. But she was invited to go to somebody's house and spend the night. And we found out later that during the time that she was with that friend in that home, she got exposed to pornography, video pornography. And we were mortified. And we, you know, there was nothing we could do to change it. There was this horrible, horrible thing that had happened. We had spent... All of those years that she'd been in our home, protecting her, guarding her, editing everything, reading all of the stuff that she was going to be exposed to, not watching, letting her watch a movie until we had watched it, not reading a book to her unless we'd already read it ahead of time. But as she grew older and older and older, as her parents, we didn't have the ability to edit everything. We couldn't protect her from bad stuff coming in. What we had to hope was that we had raised, reared her in such a way that she had the tools 
to be able to discern the right from the wrong and what she would choose to allow in and what she wouldn't choose to allow in. Now, granted, at an eight-year-old and nine-year-old, she should never have been exposed to that kind of stuff. Never. But as she became a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old and a 20-year-old and a 30-year-old, now she's 36, we don't have control over what she allows into her life. As her parents, all we can do is trust that we've empowered her to live appropriately and to make right choices. And as I was reflecting on all of this and how we're not to love the world and we're not to be of the world, but we're to be, I was like, you know, when God gave us free will, it's kind of like what he, what he, what we go through as parents. God gave his children the ability to choose right from wrong. And he told us how we were to live. But then he leaves it up to us how we should live, to choose how we should live. And unfortunately, so many human beings choose the selfish way. Choose to stay focused on me, 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 me. The flesh, the world. And so as we, going back to two weeks ago, lift our head up out of the drone existence, recognizing that we've been duped, that we've been kept in the dark, we're now stepping into the light, coming into Christ. We are now having a transformation of our mind in a way that we're moving, in a way that we're living. And we're called as followers of Jesus to no longer live like the world, but to live amongst the world in a different way. And it's, it goes right back to this idea. The cross is right in the difference between living in the dark and living in the light. And as long as we keep our heart and mind focused on Jesus and what he has for us, we can continue to walk in the light, being a light to the people around us, showing them the truth, praying for them that God would help them to stick up their heads and get become aware of the reality. The problem is, so many Christians... So many, I can, I can name them, but it's inappropriate. They name Jesus, but they never let go of the darkness. They're always focused on that. I mean, I can tell you as a young Christian in my own experience, I remember distinctly one time in my life, and I shouldn't go into this, but I will. We were living in Mississippi. We were going to church in, in the church that we, there in Gulfport. There were military families as well as civilian families going there. And there was another military family going there uh, to that church. I was a tech sergeant. He was a tech sergeant. My wife was a stay-at-home mom. His wife was a stay-at-home mom. I had three children, or we had three children. He and his wife had three children. Everything was equal. They had new cars. They had nice things. And I was like, God, I don't understand why you're scrapping. We're constantly scrapping. We're constantly trying to figure out how in the world we're going to. It's not right. Oh, I'm sorry. She wasn't a stay-at-home mom. She had a job. And we had felt that God had asked us that Renee stay home to take care of our kids. His wife worked a second job and that second income made all the difference in their quality of living versus our quality of living. And I struggled with jealousy. I struggled with envy. 
going, it's not fair. My kids are suffering. My kids don't have all the stuff that his kids have. We don't have the same. We, we're driving a junker where they have a brand new vehicle. We're just, and, and the Lord, he literally had to just let me go through that whole. And then finally he was like, are you done? Are you done? Because you're missing out. What are, your, what are you and your family gaining by living the way I'm asking you to live? And what are they gaining? Because I can tell you, Bob, if you'll go down 20 years down the road, you're going to see a distinct difference between the way your kids live and the way this guy's kids live. And why? Because you're doing it my way. You're following the plan I have for you. Instead of allowing the world to decide how you should live. You're doing it my way. And the end result, Bob, you just have to trust me. The end result will prove to be worth it. Now, did that make it any easier? No. As I walked that path, my kids still didn't have all the nice things. We didn't have a nice car and we struggled financially. And we paid a tithe and they didn't. And the whole schmear. But I had to remain true and faithful to what I believed God was calling me to do so that I could get the end result, which was not being wealthy and having all the nice stuff, but being told when I get up into heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do and you brought glory to my name. That's what I said to the kids this morning. May you live your life in such a way so that when people see you, they don't see you. They think about God and they give glory to God because of the way you're living your life. John's words to us, to, the, to his people, are the same as to us. You have an incredible position in God. You know God. You've known the one who was from the beginning. You know that your sins are forgiven. And you are powerful because of him and have overcome the evil one. Do not go back into that way of living. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is the upward calling. And it's not even a prize of heaven. I'm not even talking about that. It is the looking God in the eye when I get there and having him say to me, Thanks for living the way, you, way I asked you to live. Thanks for doing what I need you to do. You will not even have any understanding of the thousands upon thousands of lives you impacted for the kingdom because you did what I asked you to do, even when it was tough. Do not let the enemy in any way, church, make you think that you're missing out or doing or doing less than because the world's got all these blessings and I don't. God himself has called specifically all the shots for your life. And if you will walk in faith and trust, you may not have the life you dreamed, but you will have the life he dreamed for you. And that's so much better. So much better. Don't love the world, because if you love the world, it makes it impossible to love God. Let's pray.